everyone, and welcome to episode 293 of This Is Whole Life. This past week, it was getting started with a new theme and a new series that's actually looking at the theme. So Arise is our theme for 2022. If you had not heard about that yet, if you're maybe a couple episodes, had been a couple episodes behind and you're just joining us. So Arise is our theme for 2022. And we are starting off this January with Arise this past week. January 8th was our first installment called Arise with Trust. The message paragraph, I want to read it real quick as we get started because It said, if nothing else, 2021 taught us we are not in control. Already, I don't like this, Ken. Already, I don't like this. We're not in control. Finding ourselves (laughs) in a third year of shutdowns and restrictions caused frustration and a desperate need for autonomy. As we consider the mission and vision of Whole Life Church, what can we learn from this past year about the fragility of human solutions and the need to trust the one who invites us to arise, pick up our mats, and walk? And as soon as I did, I read that last week, just kind of thinking about where we were going this week, and it just kind of had my mind going in different directions. And then we get to church this past week on the 8th, and like nearly everyone is either not feeling well, they're not sure if it's COVID, maybe it's COVID, maybe not. People who were supposed to come and participate weren't there. I ended up being the worship online worship host and doing Q&A <laughs> with Ken. And everything about it was almost felt like it was just like there was a crazy vibe that went to the whole service. And yet, what an amazing week of worship. God was really, really good to us this past week. And if you haven't watched last week's, just the entire service, I mean, the music was amazing. We had a great message. This I can't wait as we continue to jump into this message series on Arise. And it it really felt like the Holy Spirit was worshiping with us. And then when they played the music of the song Arise, which Albert Acosta, who's one of our music ministers, wrote the song for the theme for the year. And I didn't notice it until it was almost done the first time that it was actually <laughs> arise, and I was—I I didn't really put those two together. But and, and Ken didn't let us know until Q and A. But that he was kind of like, all right, all right, all right. That was amazing, and Albert was to blame or to be praised for it. And what an amazing week of worship we had all the way around. Do you guys feel the same way? Yeah, that it was it was incredible. If you get a chance. Any of any of you get a chance? Go back and and listen to that song for the first time. That was pretty powerful. It was. Oh, the song was just fabulous. It was so good. It was so good. And we are actually starting a tradition with that song. I'm oh, so that's excited right. About the tradition. And one of the people attending services, the song gets to the chorus in the end. There's this this big rise, arise, this moment. And one of our uh, people at church stood right up when it said to arise. And I thought, that is exactly right. That's I, mean, I don't know how you can listen to that song and not stand up. So, like, that's what we're going to do from now on. Every time we'll stay seated until we get to that rise and everybody gets to stand up there. I think that's going to be fun. Yeah, and it always takes someone who just feels the spirit move and goes, I don't care if anybody yep. else is standing up or if, yep. <laughs> you know, I'm just going yeah. for it. And and she stood up and didn't sit down the rest of the time. And, and uh, Ken noticed it 
I, I noticed it too. And then Ken was just like, no, this has got to be tradition. And I was like, yes, this is perfect now. So if you weren't there and you didn't see it, or if you, if you happen to just be someone that uh, is not near and, and watches online and then catches the podcast, go ahead. You can just, when, as soon as it hits that arise, you can stand up at home and do it too. You just join us virtually and, and take advantage of it as well. Brilliant. Just make the neighbors wonder why you're jumping up and down in your living room window. Let them make them wonder. Get as close to the living room window as you can. That's Absolutely. Awesome. That is awesome. Well, after I read the, the message paragraph and really thought about, you know, three years seems like a long time that we've been in COVID. And yet, you know. Well, Randy, I wanted to stop you for a second. You said you didn't like that. It really bothered you. Method that you. Well, I was going to ask you what what what, <laughs> what was wrong with that? What what was the problem there, Randy? Well, that was the the remembrance or the reminder or the yeah, we're not in control. I never liked that. I never liked that because it's not the feeling that it's not the feeling that brings me warm and fuzzies or joy most of the time. When I just don't so think about for, it. You're telling me for the last two years you haven't noticed that we haven't been in control of our lives at all? <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like, <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I guess I would say that. I thought I was just stating the obvious. Well, well, you were, you were. And in many ways, <laughs> in many ways, that is true. When everything f- first was like lockdowns and you can't even go to the gas station because you're going to get the Rona from touching the gas pump. Stay in your houses. Don't set foot outside. I mean, you know, me and the girls were out riding around on the Harley, finding any gas station that was open that would pump gas, that I could pump gas from. So I felt like there was a little bit of control. But every time we, we talk about control and we really stop to think about the things that we have, our personal freedoms, our religious freedoms, and when you first think about it, it's always just, Oh, I don't like it. It just it's a it's a part inside that just wants to fight. And then when you stop and think about it in another context, you think about, well, I don't really care if I have control because if I get what I want, then really God's in control. So that's a good thing. But that's an uh, maybe, you know, for me that's just an internal struggle that never goes away. <laughs> so, we're reading right now for the uh, for those of you that are working through the book, The Common Rule. Yeah, we're reading right now about how that same thought as we think about eating a meal or sharing a meal with, with other people. And the author brings in, Dustin Early, brings in this idea of, you know, it's a reminder every three times a day, if you eat three meals a day, it's a reminder of our dependence upon God. And it is, it does sort of take away a little bit of that control piece is that we need that. We need to have that. So it is, it is a nice way of thinking about it from the standpoint of um, we become reminded that it is not about just trusting in ourselves. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm all up for reminders. And this was a good, (laughs) and this was a good one because, because initially, like I said, it's just that internal battle but as yeah, I, but as yeah. I really thought about it, though, we think about th- this time and 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 the things that we've struggled with, the things that you know, normal. I hate that word almost as much as control these days. And then you know, you think about Ben. This guy's been sick thirty eight years, and who knows how many of those were spent at Bethesda by the pool, waiting for something or someone to to help and get his place in the water to be healed. And, and you think about 
that place, people that were there that were sick and the, what it what it must have sounded like and smelled like in the surroundings. And, you know, you think to yourself, I'm, you know, yeah, lockdown, different things, you know, sitting in my house with the AC on, you know, binging Netflix and eating bonbons. It wasn't the worst that it could have been. And, <laughs> you know, it could have been, <laughs> you know, it could have been a lot worse. But and it made me think of how do we how can we help or is there a way that we can identify people who may need our help? But sometimes people are very personal when it comes to different things that they may need help. But oh, I'm too proud really to ask for help or ah, that's a little embarrassing. I don't know if I want anyone to know my business. And it just feels like it's too personal. And I mean, is there a way that we can help that or facilitate or help people to maybe feel comfortable enough to share with us? How do we go about finding people? Because you'd hate to think that someone was sitting in, in your in your midst like this guy for an extended period of time and you just didn't know and there was like no way to help. Well, it is it is a question that I think, and by the way, Ken, I'm really, really pleased that you brought it up because this is a real question. And I think it's a real question that Christ asked and by the way, Ken gave him a name. His name's not really Ben. We don't know what his name yeah, is. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for putting that out. I, I was gonna, we're going to have some people like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> I have not heard the story of Ben in the Bible before. <laughs> well, and they called him something else on The Chosen, so I don't know. We may have to arm wrestle for this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I decided um, not to go with what The Chosen said. I wanted to be my own person. <laughs> there you go. Okay. But it is legit. It's a legit question because, you know, if Christ was actually saying, do you want to be identified? You, I mean, 37 years here, 38 years, his identity had, in a sense had been formed. And I think, I think, Ken, you're right. I think there is a, a side of him that ratted Jesus out. And, uh, but it is the question, do you really want to be healed? And that's still up for grabs, that question, really, I think. Hmm. I, I just, it's a, oh, go ahead. go ahead. Well, it's a question I think you you have to ask everybody when you when you consider when I do something for someone else. And you you ask that question, Randy. When I do something for someone else, is that about me? Is that about them? <laughs> or you know, or or am I thinking the way you know what Jesus says? How often was I? down so i you know i do think i i do kind of wonder when when we get the chance to help other people to check our own motivation as well well i hope it's okay that sometimes the motivation is going to be because it's for me and i want to feel important i want to feel like i'm doing something for god or i just need selfishly to make myself look good and then i can learn some lessons along the way I, I guess I would take that over inaction, but as long as we learn the lesson of, you know, why we're doing it, who we're doing it for in reality, and that we learn that, wow, it feels really good to be compassionate. It feels good to help, and it feels good to, to as Ken mentioned in the message, we're just reflecting the sun. They're not seeing anything good in us. They're only seeing what Jesus is doing in us. And I would hope that at least, at minimum, it's the Holy Spirit's prompting that's putting us in the position even if for the wrong reasons, that he gets the glory because we at least listened enough to be pushed into action rather than sitting on the sidelines. But 
I mean, you read in the Bible, uh, the, the gospel writers do talk about, I'm doing this, this is happening so God can be glorified. Yeah. And so you you wonder, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm actually working on the Lazarus piece, the, the, the talk for this week, and you know, it was it in Lazarus' best interest that he wakes him up out of the bed. You know, you have to ask some of those questions. But I do think that for for the way in which which Ken handled this last sermon, I, I think it's an interesting piece that he wasn't grateful at he didn't seem to be grateful at all for that healing. Well, I felt better that uh, that Jesus picked Ben knowing that there was all this baggage and all this, you know, maybe he wasn't who we would have picked because we would have probably picked somebody, quote unquote, more deserving or more uh, <laughs> someone who would have maybe been kinder to the person that helped. And that makes us feel good because we did what we thought was best. Or And when someone compliments you or, oh, man, you know, I don't know what I would have done without you. I mean, that that makes us feel good. And I think that affects maybe who we would choose to help. But I, I just felt better that, that Jesus picked Ben because, unfortunately, when I pictured Ben and I was listening to you to kind of go through the story, a couple of times when I was thinking about those behaviors and those attitudes and I was like, oh, someone's looking in the mirror right now. So I, th- I think uh, Ken accidentally – I think Ken started with Randy and then he's like, no, I better not. I better choose Ben as the name. <laughs> so. <laughs> I also, it's harder for me to find Randy or Randall in the biblical account of names. So you, you also left out there. So I, if you'd had a more biblical name, I might have gone with it. Ah, well, <laughs> thanks, Mom. <laughs> Saved again. Well, you know what? That, that's the thing that jumped out at me at this story is usually when I've heard this story, the guy is kind of just a pathetic kind of person. You feel sorry for him. And it's not that he wasn't pathetic or that he there wasn't empathy that was that he deserved. But I sometimes think we just gloss over the the personalities and we make people pretty one dimensional mm, um, when we look at the Bible. And, and I don't think this guy was just, I just don't think he was a likable human being. I just don't think so. Based on the he way didn't have any friends. the Bible tells the story. <laughs> he didn't, I mean, well, you know, seriously for, I mean, you know, at what point 38 years, yeah, and and so it wasn't like it was like the friends gave up on him on year thirty or something. It was <laughs> he didn't have he apparently for thirty eight years didn't have friends to help him get into the pool. You know, you could argue that when he was the first year he was there, he would have been in better health. He should have had some friends to help him. And it's just an interesting thing that Jesus tells him to quit sinning. Um, yeah, yeah. Because apparently this guy was, Jesus doesn't say what his sin was, but I'm just telling you, this guy, I don't think he was particularly likable. And what gives me courage about that is that if I don't feel particularly likable, that has no impact on Jesus' willingness to mm. come and touch me. Mm. It has no impact on that whatsoever. It, he, that guy went for 38 years without having a friend to help him. And all it took was Jesus to show up. And he didn't even have to be grateful afterwards. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he could go. He could go sell Jesus out, and Jesus, you know, we believe that Jesus knew everything, and so Jesus knew this guy was how this guy was going to respond, and he still healed him. I think that just says so much about Jesus. 
you got a lot of thank you, Jesus, and thank you, Lords, coming from the back row this week when you went through that. As I think people had the same reaction as I just explained and as you just talked about that you see yourself in these in these pieces and in these stories, and it immediately makes you so grateful that he doesn't go, oh, yeah, 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 going to help Randy out again. <laughs> this guy. This guy, he just—I know what he's going to continue to do, or, and it just—it uh, just makes you so grateful and make it, it just makes you love him more. That that's the attitude. And um, hey, Randy, I know you're the guy who always asks the questions, but I want to ask the two of you a question. Why do you think Jesus had this guy pick up his mat? Why was that? Why did he just say stand up, go on your way? I mean, Jesus didn't have to do it, right? I mean, I'm sure the mat. I'm sure the mat was about a dollar fifty at Walmart. I don't think it was probably like probably you know, wasn't in the best condition either. <laughs> probably not. Not after thirty eight years, I wouldn't think. So no. why do you think what do you think? I you know, I had all sorts of thoughts about that. And then one of them was was that, that was his that was his place. In other words, that where he that's where he called basically that was home. And so he was, that's just, a, but I do think there, Randy does make a point. It probably smelled around him too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly, the, the, the reason that I've always thought and for the longest time, and it, I don't have any reason, like there's no biblical reason that I know of to think this other than to me, and it's probably just my personality. If I was Jesus and I did this and knowing that it was going to be on the Sabbath, that it was time yeah. to it was time to just tick off the <laughs> the leaders <laughs> and just go i'm going i'm not only going to heal this guy on the sabbath but i'm going to go ahead and then make him break not a sabbath rule but i'm going to have him break a human sabbath rule so that we continue the conversation because it's directly after this if i remember correctly that he then claims to be the son of god and this this kind of starts this whole conversation. So to me, it was to it was the catalyst that would have really pushed them over the edge to get into the conversation they had at that point, and that he needed that to happen. So you're, yeah. So you're saying Jesus was picking a fight, huh? I do. I think <laughs> I and I know that a lot of people disagree, but I think that Jesus used the gamut, just like he hardened Pharaoh's heart. I think it's equally as believable then to say that he would, if you want to say, pick a fight with the religious leaders of the day to prove what his kingdom was and who he was publicly because it all, I mean, it all had to go to the same place and it was just one more piece of the puzzle that had to go in. And I think that, uh, I think that Jesus had a little bit of a temper. I think there was obviously human traits in him. And I think that at some point, I just think that's what I think that's what he did. I mean, I can't say why, of course, or that that was why, but that's how I feel about it. Oh, I totally think you. I think you're. Uh, I'm a hundred percent on the Randy bandwagon on this one. <laughs> I agree with you. I think I totally think Jesus was. I too. Was yeah. I, I really think that that's exactly what was going on. There's another really good reason in my that I can see for Jesus to do that. He. I mean, he literally, he is very much choosing to, to poke 
the religious authorities <laughs> in the eye by doing that. Yeah. And, and what becomes interesting to me in this conversation, particularly as we're talking about a rise, and if we want to be a little provocative here, isn't it, isn't it interesting that Jesus deliberately tells this man to break one of the rules, the Sabbath rules, that this man must have grown up knowing was a rule. I mean, he knew it, right? So it's yeah. not like, I mean, think about from this guy's perspective, Jesus tells him to get up and break. I mean, we could, you know, I could probably throw out some examples of things that maybe we, we could say, but Jesus deliberately tells him to do that. And what does that say to us when it comes to listening to Jesus and what he's telling us to do today? Is it possible that even today that Jesus tells us to do things that appear to go against what we've been raised to think? <laughs> Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure it does. We're so glad that there are people who, who read their Bibles thoroughly and realized that, that, the, that even though the Bible talks about slavery in a number of different places, that was a that and in, and in many cases seems to condone it and and makes rules for it. Aren't we glad there's a group of people that read the Bible, heard Jesus say arise, and said, "No, no, no, yeah, the slavery that's <laughs> happening in the United States that is not okay. That yeah. is not part of what the biblical narrative is." And they said, "We're going to arise. We're going to do something about this, and we're going to go ahead and push back on what really because." Keep in mind, I mean, the, the part of the whole defense of slavery in the United States was biblically based. This is something yeah. that God yeah. wants. It, this is, they said it was the curse of put on to uh, one of uh, Noah's sons. Ham. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, Ham. It was, you know, and so they, they said that, and then they, they, they cite all the Levitical and even the New Testament places where slavery takes place, where Paul sends a slave back to his master. Well, Aren't we glad that when people hear Jesus arise, that they take a look at what the whole context of the Bible says and go, you know what? Maybe, just maybe, maybe there's parts of the Bible that are that, that go along with what Jesus said when it came to divorce. He says, because of your hard hearts that we made this exception, but that's not yeah. what God's will was in the first place. And so I think that, I think we have to really think really hard about some of the things that the preconceptions we have about what God will and will not ask us to do when he says to arise. Yeah, no, that's really good. That's really good. And the, the other thing that I, I thought about as you were describing a Ben and, and this type of person and just thinking about where he had been for however many of those 38, if it was all at the pool or I'm sure it was an extended time, no matter what, but, and, and thinking about what, that must have done to his mental health. I mean, again, bringing this back to our the pandemic here, and people hadn't thought about the ramifications of some of the decisions that were made and what it would do. And we're starting to see the fruit, unfortunately, of some of those decisions and the bringing to the forefront, not that these weren't there before the pandemic, but they're really being pushed to the forefront, these mental health issues and how many people struggle with this on a daily basis. And I, I just thought about his response about, well, there was, you know, there was nobody to help and I can't do this by myself. And how many people 
right now maybe listening and, and struggling with that same thing. I, I can't do this myself and I, I don't feel like there's someone to help or maybe I, I don't know anyone or maybe I don't want to share it or and professional <laughs> advice is, you know, maybe I can't afford it or I, do, I just, again, don't want to share. It, how do we just, I mean, as, as the body of Christ and an average person, is there something we can do to help someone that may be struggling in this same way that, again, is just maybe they don't trust the church either. Maybe they've been burned and that's part of why they don't have anybody to talk to. I just feel like people that are in this situation may feel even more remote than some of the rest of us that have just gone through it and we've had our ups and downs and all the things that you deal with. But then to have some type of mental health problem, a real problem that needs attention, it just seems like they're there in limbo waiting for something. What? what is there anything that we can do? Well, that's a good question. I mean, but right now, if you talk to most mental health professionals, they will tell you they are slammed. Are right they really? Because of that issue. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. And um, it is it is an all-time high um, right now because of two things. One is isolation. Sure. It's a yeah. big thing. And the other is this uh, prolonged uh, anxiety of how will we you know, do we get by through this? And it's so, we've never seen this kind of thing in the United States anyway. Uh, it's somewhat unprecedented, at least in what we would call modern history. So. I think another aspect and dimension of this is that the, the pandemic has separated us, but even before the pandemic, we were becoming more and more separated. Um, yeah, I was, I was kind of, it was crossed my mind a while back. I remember when I was growing up, my my parents used to bemoan how many families would eat their their meals in front of the TV, watching the you know they'd all sit at the couch yep. and watch TV while they ate their meals. Right, that's not what my fam- my parents were bemoaning. And the funny thing was, just a day or two ago, I was thinking I was thinking how many times people now they're not even watching the TV together. They're in different rooms on different devices, eating their meals by <laughs> yeah. themselves. Right. And, uh, and I was thinking, I mean, is, is yep. we were, you know, 20, 25, 30 years ago, we were bemoaning that we were all in the same room together, <laughs> watching, <laughs> watching a TV show together. And now everybody watched, well, I don't want to watch that. I'll watch this on my device over here, over there, or whatever. And our friendships are remote. And so I think, there's just this lack of connection going back to what you're saying, Randy, what can we do in our lives? I think that what we can do is pay attention to who Jesus is bringing into our lives. Mm, mm, and like then, that. and then emotionally, emotionally connect with them. Maybe pray for someone. I don't know that. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what, there's a, um, there's a homeless couple that, uh, Rochelle and I go walking in the mornings and there's a homeless couple that, that sleeps on a bench uh, near our home. And there's, there's several benches that they can be at and we'll often pass them. And I've been really praying about what the right way to approach this couple is. And is it, is the right thing for me to do to come up to them and tell them, Hey, I can tell you're in trouble. Let me help you. Or is the right approach for me to say, Hey, my name's Ken. Tell me who you are. Let me know you as a human being. Mm. I think sometimes we're so eager to help that we think that that people need our money. 
they need us to do things for them when maybe in fact what they really need is just for us to be emotionally there for them to talk to us and yeah they may need our money and they may need food and that you know this couple when i find the right way to approach them because i don't really want to scare the life out of them while they're sleeping (laughs) (laughs) but when i find the right time and place i want to engage them with the conversation just find out who they are what what what's going on in your life um is there is there friendship to be had there I think what that man needed, I can, I can imagine that his physical infirmity was pretty difficult, but I can only imagine how difficult it would be to have nobody to be there with you. I think that would be worse than the physical problem, to, to, to be alone and to not feel like there was anybody in the world who really cared about you. And so I think that what we can do is just, as we find people showing up in our lives, I think we can care about them. Is, and, and, and care about them the way Jesus did. If this guy was the old, crusty man that I think he was, Jesus found this man and, and invested in him in spite of him not being a pleasant person. Mm, yeah. And sometimes I think we're quick to not want to invest in people because we find them unpleasant. I know I am, I'll be honest. It's, it's hard sure. to, you know, when somebody's nasty and mean, it's very hard to want to really help them or or listen to them or talk to them. And yet, usually those are the people who really need our time the most because they are hurting and they feel broken and they don't feel like anybody wants to listen, which is why, you know, they're lashing out and being unpleasant in the first place. Yeah. And it would would explain why he ratted out Jesus at that point. He he only saw, you know, he – it was. It would probably have been really hard for him to imagine a relationship with somebody in his mind who had been somewhat uh, of a, you know, cast out to at least the people he thought were in power. Hmm. Yeah, what a good point, Jeff. That's a yeah. really good point. I yeah, hadn't thought about that, but you're right. That would be. You almost feel like, oh well, great. They got their. They did their good deed for the day for the poor old me. Um, yeah. You know, that well, like what almost make you wonder why somebody, you know, would even take the time to, to do that. But, of course, I don't know what it would feel like yeah. if someone were to actually heal you. It's That seems like it's, I mean, you know, of course, we're not him and we weren't there. But if you were 38 years and someone healed you, it seems like that's a hard emotion to come back to or to go to right away is to somehow have – anything but just sheer joy in your heart for this person that just made you well. But I guess that also speaks to just how depraved we are and we don't, and we don't even realize it sometimes how, how bad that can be. But the thing that kind of is, we were wrapping up the message and again, just trying to put myself in Ben's place and we've all felt it before, but in this situation where we all have things that we're afflicted with and maybe not to the degree. Some of us may have things that are you know, worse than Ben had, less than Ben had. But what do we say to people that say, yeah, but you, you don't know what I've done. Yeah, okay, here's Ben's story, but you, you don't know me. You don't know what I've done, what I'm still doing or what I'm planning on doing or you know, the, the true person that I am. God can't help me. I've heard that before. Or there's nothing that God can do for me that I haven't already tried doing for myself. That's another one. And I always feel I always feel bad when you 
you hear someone who's really crying out is what they're doing. You're, they're basically telling you that they've tried everything. They've probably tried praying even if they didn't know they were praying because they were just crying out to something, to somebody, to anyone that could possibly, the universe, if it were, to, you know, to help. But to have so little faith or hope that anything can be done for the way they the way they're living their life, the way they feel, their health, the, maybe their mental well-being, whatever that might be. When when someone talks to you or, or, or speaks to you in that way, knowing what you know about God and trying to put it into a language or a, a context or a story, what's the best way, if there is one, or a best practice or something we can do that would maybe be most effective to just try to help them understand what we know about God? Because that seems like a a daunting task. And sometimes it, I think it even puts us into inaction or we don't know what to say, or we just say, yeah, that's, that's, that's rough. Cause I, cause I don't know what to say. Uh, any advice for someone that runs into someone like that, that again, maybe they just need to, a handshake, a, a hug, uh, someone to listen, but it just seems like that is an awful difficult place to try to help someone from. And it seems to be more prevalent than maybe ever before. Hey, I want to go with you what you said though, Randy, I think that sometimes the best thing to do is not to say anything and just to listen and and just to be present and to hear. And then, and then if the person is wanting advice or wanting to know more about Jesus, I think that's the appropriate yeah. time to share what Jesus has done for you and to tell, tell a story about what Jesus has done for you. Uh, you know, and, and to it, freely admit, you know, there's times where you meet people and you know they need Jesus, but you have nothing in common with them. Mm. And so you hear their story and they say, well, why on earth are you a follower of Jesus? And you can say, well, here's my story. And I know it probably doesn't match up with yours as far as like, you know, whatever, you know, maybe you're dealing with something far different than I've ever dealt with. But this is why I needed Jesus. And I think that there's some common themes in all of our lives. You know, we all want to be loved unconditionally. We all want peace. We all want to feel um, community. And so those are all common themes that, that can go across. And when you tell a story that tells about how God gave you peace in your life, it doesn't matter that your story doesn't match exactly up with somebody else's life. They're probably finding that they need peace in their life or they need unconditional love <laughs> or, you know, they need forgiveness. Yeah. And so I think those are things that when we can tell stories about how Jesus has worked in our life, nobody, you know, we don't live in a culture where people really argue with your personal story. They'll say that I'm glad that worked for you. Uh, that, you know, that's pretty much the, the worst of it. But but yeah, going back to it, I think that we, right. I think that sometimes we start off by feeling like we have to tell people that we tell them about Jesus and then ask them to tell us about themselves. And I think that's that's backwards. It's certainly not, certainly not the way that Jesus uh, approached the the man at Bethesda. Um, that that I the name of Ben. He he turned up and said, "Do you want to be well?" I you know is he asked a question that was pretty obvious and yet it was a question that was going to get a conversation going. No, oh, for sure. For sure. That's good. 
Well, one question I did want to ask uh, as we wrap up here, and it doesn't have to be a long answer, but why should this story that was arise with trust, why should this story cause me to trust Jesus if I never truly have before? I may, I just never have really given him my complete trust. What about this story should cause me to do that? Hmm. I would say that the reason you should trust Jesus if you never have because of this story is that if Jesus can help somebody who has not been able to find help any other way over 38 years, (laughs) that you can trust that Jesus is the one to go to to give you that help. And it doesn't matter whether you are a good or deserving Mm. person. Mm. The most obvious was right there for the taking. I like it. I think one of the interesting pieces of the story is that Jesus goes to a place where everybody else was trusting in something oh, else other than God. And he goes to this place knowing full well, this is all about superstition. If I get in there first, I mean, it literally is a selfish way to think about being healed. <laughs> That's true, yeah. And I think the way in which you, you can trust him is that he, even if your motivations even if your reason, even if even if all of the pieces around it do not seem, um, uh, I don't want to use the word moral, but at least we're very responsible, he goes looking for you. And I don't know, somebody who wants the best for me and I don't have to go to them, but they come looking for me and because they really want the best for me, I feel like that's that's a big thing I can trust. In mm. other words, if I'm looking at somebody who is here is is trying to get me, you know, trying to sell something to me, but he's actually looking for me for something other than for himself. Wow. And I, I just I feel like that's a pretty interesting piece. Yeah, yeah. I love yeah, that. Yeah. Chasing me. <laughs> that's not the way things work that we know in our world. No, that's yeah. uh, that's amazing. Good. That's great. Uh, was this one I've been thinking about, and why would I trust? And I, I, I like both of those answers. I think those are things you can, those are tangible things you can put into your psyche and, and actually think on and and uh, and and start to trust God on. And I, I think that's that's great. All right. Well, that will pretty much wrap that part up. We had no question. Well, we did have questions from the Q and A, but we covered them all. We were efficient, even though they tur- even <laughs> though they turned the lights off on us. We still made <laughs> we still made all the questions, so we didn't have one to bring to you this week. But one of the whole life reflections asked: When Jesus asks you if you want to be whole, what are your excuses about why wholeness can't happen? And for a little context, if you missed the message, just go back. You can swipe up in today's show notes, and you'll find the link to Speaking of Grace, which will have those, and it does have. The bonus song arise. By the way, I left that in there for those. So if you haven't heard it and you just you know you listen to that podcast as well, uh, just know that you will find that there today. And if you never have, swipe up in today's show notes. The link is right there to listen to Speaking of Grace, and you will find uh, those some of the excuses that were given by Ben, and then also uh, check out the Arise song. And this one for me just was, you know, not even that I'm asking you to answer, although if you have something that you'd like to share with us, you can do it by sending a text or voicemail to 407-965-1607 or podcast at wholelife.church. But this one for me is this something that I'm going to actually write this down. I've got a couple of things on my 
monitor at home when I'm editing or doing different things. This is what I'm going to write down because there are times when there are things that are going on in your life and things you struggle with and you say you want to be whole, but when in actuality, I know speaking just personally, I'll give excuses why that's not going to happen or why it can't happen or, you know, now's not a, I mean, anything as simple as now's not a good time. I'm busy. And, you know, just a, just a friendly reminder that if Jesus is asking the answer should be, yes, uh, how are we going to do this? I give it to you to take care of because I know that I can't and I have no excuses left. So I just thought that was a great reflection to just remember, again, all about the reminders this week. And uh, man, like Jeff said, when he's coming after you to help you to be the best and want the best for you, yes and thank you are great ways to respond. So our final thoughts are from the closing to Ken's message. He said, Jesus wants to make us glorious in our community. That's going to happen, not because we're going to make it happen, because Jesus said, arise with trust. And I thought, man, that's pretty cool. Just arise, we're going to trust, and we're going to move forward, and things in our community are going to be impacted for the better. So absolutely love the way we ended with that. And this week upcoming, it's Arise with Peace. And I heard a little rumor that it's uh, somebody on the call not named Ken that will be (laughs) preaching this week. Yep. We're giving Ken a little bit of a break here. Hopefully, Ken, I hope you enjoy that time with Derek. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, his school has a father-son retreat for dads and their their boys, and I'm I'm really looking forward to being with him this weekend. That's awesome. Cool. That's awesome. Very cool. What are we talking about this week with peace, Jeff? Arise with peace. It's on. A, it's actually a really interesting story. I'm not going to give it all away, but. You know, when you think of Arise, the story of Lazarus, you would think that that's what we're talking about, but that's not really what we're talking about. Oh, wow. We're doing the misdirection in the 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 teaser. teaser, We're giving the misdirection. I love it. All right. Well, Ken, we hope that you have a safe trip and just in a fantastic time with Eric this upcoming week. And uh, as always, we appreciate you. Appreciate you, Jeff, for being here and then again on the podcast and filling in next week. And We'll be back next week, so send questions, comments to us, and we'd be happy to answer those next week. And so in the meantime, have a fantastic week of your own.